Hi there, I'm Leah Juliet, founder and executive director of March Against Revenge Porn, an international cyber civil rights organization dedicated to eradicating and combating the abhorrent practice of non-consensual image sharing, image abuse, and cyber exploitation known by many as revenge porn through federal and state lobbying, global organizing, national protest marches, media advocacy, victim support services, and a brand new legal defense fund. While March Against Revenge Porn actively utilizes the phrase revenge porn in our title, we advocate and educate about the reasons why non-consensual images are not only not birthed out of a need for revenge, implying that the victim of the crime did something wrong, but also nude images are not inherently pornographic. Throughout this series, we'll be using phrases like cyber exploitation, image abuse, and non-consensual image sharing to describe what many in media and beyond have named revenge porn. I started March Against Revenge Porn in 2016 after being victimized by image abuse as a young teenager. By gathering and mobilizing image abuse survivors worldwide, we've marched in four major cities, directly impacted legislative change. We've reached millions with viral video campaigns, spoke publicly on international news platforms, and changed the way the media and people in general discuss cyber civil rights. For the past four years, we've marched in major cities nationwide to raise awareness of the legislative bias that leads to lack of legislation and state legislation, which disproportionately impacts victims' access to justice. As a result of COVID-19, we weren't able to physically march this year, but we march on. I founded March Against Revenge Porn March Across America as a digital interview series to showcase the diverse stories of victims of image abuse from all 50 states, demonstrating how state legislation is simply not enough to combat this heinous crime. By marching, we reclaim shame and start global dialogues about harm reduction. If you're interested in representing your state and telling your story on our series, visit marchagainstrevengeporn.org slash march-across-america to sign up. In this series, I'll be joined by my associate director, Belinda Berry, to interview 50 incredible survivors. And we're kicking off our March Across America series with a phenomenal guest. Representing the state of California is former Congresswoman Katie Hill from California's 25th district. She's now a best-selling author, ardent activist fighting for equity and equality for all, and founder of Her Time, a political action committee working to get young people and women elected to office. Throughout this episode and episodes to come, Katie and other survivors will be telling their personal experiences with cyber exploitation. Trigger warning, this content may be upsetting for some viewers. I Thank you, Katie Hill. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're going to get started. We have some questions that we are going to ask you. Uh, we are going to start with the first of maybe, so we know that your story made national and international headlines, but can you start by telling your experiences with cyber exploitation in your own words? Sure. So for those who may not be familiar with the story, I was um, one of the youngest members, youngest women members of Congress ever elected. I was elected in 2018. I was a rising star in the Democratic Party. I was a member of leadership. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, uh, things were, I was a regular face on, on um, TV, cable TV and everything like that. I was a, uh, I was, um, you know, uh, the representative of the freshman class effectively. And um, what people didn't know, though, was that I was um, in the middle of a nasty divorce. 
uh, from my abusive ex-husband. I had left him. I tried to leave him uh, even before the election. So in October of 2018, I tried to leave him. Um, And at that point, he said that he would ruin me if I left. And I felt like I couldn't. Um, So it took me basically being in Congress for six months before I finally worked up the courage, I guess, to or or was said that, you know, regardless of the consequences, this is what I need to do. Um, and I finally did. And uh, shortly thereafter, he, um, he basically, in conjunction with the right-wing media and with uh, the, my political enemies, um, released dozens, if not more, photos that not only did I not know he was going to share, didn't give my consent to share, um, but was in many cases not even aware that he had taken. Um, and so, you know, it ultimately, I think, especially coming out of the abusive relationship, um, dealing with my own, you know, uh, uh, I guess the, the mental health aspect of, of dealing with revenge porn and or of cyber exploitation. Um, and, you know, my, my concern for my colleagues and for my, um, you know, other, basically for the country of not wanting to be a distraction, especially as we were entering impeachment. Uh, I decided that the best course of action was for me to step down. Um, and a lot of that has to do with it. I know that the the exploitation and the harassment wouldn't stop until I finally did. Right. We, I mean, I, I know as someone who is victimized uh, by cyber exploitation when I was just a young teenager, the, the threat of wanting to ruin someone weaves mm-hmm. very deep with so many of our stories. So yeah. that's, that's, horrifying to know that that happened to you too, but also interesting to see that that's happened to so many of us. Now, obviously you have a unique story in that you were uh, such a prominent freshman congresswoman, but what was the most shocking thing about your experience with your photos being shared without your consent? I think the most shocking thing was, uh, was honestly that these publications actually published the photos. You know, it's one thing if they were just on the dark sides of the internet, right? If it was, if, um, if it was on, you know, um, Reddit, right? Or, or even different social media sites, but it was on literally published with like these tiny, tiny censors, um, published in the daily mail and in red state, which is a prominent right-wing blog. And so I think I just, even, I thought even if my husband was going to do something vindictive like that, I didn't think he would get the platform to be able to do so on such a national scale. And, um, and I think that's the, that's the piece that really just kind of tore me open and um, the scope of it, the magnitude of it. So, yeah, I mean, it, I think no matter how many people see it, right? It, on, and, and for anyone who's a victim, there's never, it's always too many. Anyone who sees it that you haven't shared it with and haven't you know, given your consent to view these images, um, is too many, but uh, in mine, it was literally millions of people. And that just still makes me sick every time I think about it. Right. I'm so sorry to hear that happened. It makes it, I feel like sort of the ongoing sort of idea that it's just out there makes it hard to try to heal because you never know when it's going to pop back up. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think about that, you know, I think about that a lot. it's gotten easier uh, over time and, and actually COVID has in a way made it better, but like, especially because you go out wearing masks all the time now, but before, you know, I would get recognized a lot and I would have to kind of know that the reason people know me in many cases, like people knew me in my own right um, from being elected, but 
but the broader knowledge of me is like, oh, she's that, she's that uh, girl with the naked photos, or she's the, you know, it, it just takes away from everything else that you've worked so hard for. And it puts you in as this one, you know, bucket, I guess, or in, the, in this one category of person. And it's just a terrible, you know, she's, she's the, the woman who resigned, who's, who had the naked photos or who had the relationship with her staffer, whatever it is. And, um, and so I guess when I was going, when, you know, going out in public was really difficult because I knew people had probably seen them or had at least seen versions of them or something like that. And um, I think that that's just been part of the, the healing process is, is being able to kind of internalize that and say, okay, I'm strong enough to, to push forward anyway. Yeah. So what advice would you give to other young women and young femmes who know that they have nude photos out there or already know that they're online, especially if they're going to run for office or take very front facing uh, positions of power and leadership? I think the thing that I would say is that this is becoming a reality that uh, is normal for for women to, for, for anyone to have naked pictures of themselves. And I think as we're, you know, entering, I don't know, this next stage where there are such different ways of attacking women, unfortunately, this is going to continue to be one of them. And my hope is that with my story and how people responded to my story, that it actually shows that women are not, you're not going to be able to take a woman down from this, right? Like for me, you know, I decided to step away from that role because I didn't feel like it was it was uh, beneficial for me to keep going on that front. But I'm not, I didn't just go away. I didn't just hide in a corner. And instead, I'm, you know, fighting on even more fronts to try and be able to take down this kind of patriarchy that was, that is keeping us down. Um, and so I think that, uh, that I think you, you have to just know that this is possible and kind of wrap your head around it to begin with. And and take the proper protections in the first place. Like if you know there are images um, that you know have been shared without your consent already, then be able you know use the resources that already exist, like on CPRI, Cyber Civil Rights in Initiative, um, to to try and take those down. Uh, be proactive about it, but be ready if if something like that happens. Like even be an advocate on this issue before, right? Say I know that I have taken these images or taken these kinds of photos, and I've shared them with people, and I hope to God that none of my uh, ex partners are as vindictive as some have been but if they are that's you know that's not your fault that's not that's never the the victim's fault and um i think that that's just such an important message that needs to become you know pervasive before so, so people aren't just responding so instead we're being active about it right that you shouldn't have to be a victim or a survivor of this type of violence um to take a stand against it i think yeah. that especially now um our, our young Congresswomen um, in, uh, in Congress right now have the opportunity to speak out against this. Yeah. They haven't been victimized by it themselves. I agree. Um, and now you're, you're taking such an active role as an activist, a best-selling author, and the founder of Her Time, um, a political action co uh, committee. And yeah. it, we just, we admire all of the work that you're doing in Thank spite you. of and um, just in spite of everything, it, it's Thank incredibly so terrible. Uh, I'd like to- And I appreciate what you all do. This is oh, so important. As members of the LGBTQ plus community, um, we wanna talk for a moment about uh, your role in the community and how do you feel like there's a double standard when it comes to how folks react to a bisexual woman or a femme individual being sexual compared to how folks react to men and their sexuality? Do you yeah. 
that your LGBTQ plus identity was targeted? I do. And I think that there's, first of all, there's, there's a lot of biphobia. I mean, I, I use that term because that's, you know, what, what specifically applies to me and in this situation, but it's queer phobia, right? It's, um, it's of all different kinds of relationships that don't necessarily fit within a heteronormative um, scheme. And we, and, and because of, I think, you know, porn and everything like that, there's this idea of uh, threesomes and, and bi women has been completely set, overly sexualized and, um, and objectified. And so mine was, you know, perfect fodder for that. Right. Um, but I also think that, you know, it, it, it yeah, it's, it's, it was used as, as sensa- it, it had headlines, right? It had good headlines. Um, there's also just a, a lack of understanding of how relationships work in, in a, a lot of LGBT rela- LGBTQ uh, relationships. And so I think, um, you know, um, we don't have a, a, a similar example, but I know for a fact that it would not have been nearly as salacious if it were, um, if I weren't by. Right, and we also know that I believe it's the statistic is 17% of lesbian, gay, and bisexual people are victimized by image abuse in comparison to only 2% of all heterosexual people. Wow. So the re- I didn't actually know that. So that's- yeah. yeah, it's in- it's incredible. And I-, I personally think that trans people are victimized at an even greater scale. I believe that. There's limited research. Um, yeah. But we appreciate you um, taking a stand and um, including your bisexual identity and that it's, it's so important for young bi folks who are, who are being victimized or who just need a, need a voice and representation. Yeah, absolutely. Visibility is so important. Yeah. Um, yeah. and so kind of going on with that, did you ever consider taking legal actions against the person, your ex-husband who shared your photos and sort of what guided that decision? So I, fi- I filed a criminal complaint, which is still under investigation. It's being done through the U.S. Attorney's Office, and so it's not, it just moves slow. And unfortunately, we're not really able to get any kind of information on the status of that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm less than optimistic about the criminal side of things just because, you know, we see, we see of all sexual assault cases in general, 995 out of 1,000 perpetrators don't even any kind of uh, consequence whatsoever. Um, but that's still an option. But as far as civil action, um, yeah, I, I wanted to wait until my divorce was official uh, before I went in that direction because it's going to be a part of a bigger lawsuit that includes the publications. But um, I was, you know, I'm not even officially fully divorced yet because my husband was dragging that out as part of a continuation of his abuse. And um, finally, just last week, he signed. Uh, a settlement so that I can actually move forward with my life. And um, once the court sends that back, then, you know, we're going to, we're going to relook at the the legal strategy. It's tough, right? It it means tons of personal resources have to go into it. We know it's a tough case because it's a first amendment issue versus, and especially since I'm a public figure. So the the challenge is going to be making um, the argument that, you know, the, the facts can be reported. That's, you know, we can't, we can't argue with that, but that does not mean that the image is and um, I think that it's an important precedent setting one that will matter for future, you know, future women who are running for office and future women um, across the board. Exactly, exactly. And congratulations on this moment of, of freedom for you. And Almost. I mean, he signed it. So, so it, I, I'm counting it as like pre-D-Day. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, 
you completely. Um, and just what you've been able to do even without that having happened is, is so, uh, it demonstrates uh, what courage and, and power and reclamation of shame can do, which mm -hmm. is for. Um, so now you've talked about you know, the legislative process and how, how it works legally. But what are your thoughts and feelings about current laws against cyber exploitation in the U.S.? We know you've worked with the Cyber Civil Rights Initiative, which has taken the, the lead on a lot of this legislation. Yeah, yeah there, it's not enough. And we don't have a single uniform federal law that, uh, that prohibits the sharing of, of, um, of you know, intimate images without consent. And, um, and you know, there's legislation that has been introduced that should that would be able to to make a difference on that, but it hasn't gotten the movement it needs. And that shows you the importance of advocacy and the importance of of making sure that we have people in leadership positions who who know how pervasive this is and and how much of an issue it is, and how unfortunately, you know, it's not going to change unless we take a stand and unless lawmakers change the the rules that are that are in place now. Um, so it needs to be made a, a crime across all of the, the entire United States. And I think it needs harsher, harsher penalties. It should be considered a sex crime um, and it should absolutely be a felony. So I, um, I hope to see us move in that direction. Uh, there are also fundamental changes that need to be made to how we're holding uh, internet companies, uh, not internet, but, um, uh, social media companies and content sharing companies accountable. Um, because right now they're basically able to just completely brush it off. So I'm hopeful that we'll be able to make some changes on that front too. The good news is that Kamala Harris was a huge proponent of these kinds of, of laws and of uh, these changes in California and when, when she was a senator. So if she becomes the vice president, then I think that gives us an even better, larger uh, uh, platform by which to have this discussion and have somebody who's at the highest level uh, championing this issue. Absolutely. We're, we're incredibly excited for that. And after last night's um, debate, we, we certainly have hope that that will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. A hundred percent. With the 2020 election around the corner, mm -hmm. you know, is this an important time to talk about cyber exploitation? Yeah. I think it's an important time to talk about it always. But I also think that young women are such a key audience in terms of who we need to mobilize to show up at the polls um, across the board at every every single uh, level of the ticket, you know, not just for president, but for all the way down the ballot. Um, and I think that this is an issue that has affected so many young women that we should be talking about it. And we should be saying we have the ability to change these laws, but only if we change the people who make them. Um, and I hope that, you know, organizations like yours, but also everywhere, are talking about how the, the issues that directly impact young women are on the ballot more now than we've ever seen. Um, and we need to show up accordingly. Absolutely, we, we agree. And how though, as activists, especially in organizations like ours, which are very grassroots, boots on the yeah. ground oriented, how can we influence our political representatives, people in power, and also the general public to care about issues like this, who they often view as, you know, if it didn't happen to them, it, it shouldn't matter. Yeah. Well, two things. One is, you know, we have the next month before the election that is such a critical time to activate those grassroots networks. Um, for example, you know, we've got kind of a sisterhood right now. And women who have, um, you know, for, for example, who have, who have been a victim or who know someone who's been a victim, this is the perfect time to call up your friends in every state, in every, you know, everywhere you know, and say, hey, 
I don't know if you know this, but I, but one of the things that I really like about Kamala Harris is that she's an advocate on this and you know how this affected my life. And this election is really important to me. I just wanted to make sure that you, that you know how you're going to vote, that you, you know, I, I'm guessing you're not going to call people who you think are, it, it, this is mainly calling people who like, you just don't know if they're going to show up, right? But this is your friends and saying that this is an important issue to people of our age um, and of, you know, that are, that are feminine, that are, that are um, part of the queer community, that are, you know, uh, any, any of these kind of categories that we find ourselves in and uh, that we, that we absolutely, we don't have a choice to stand on the sidelines anymore. We have to show up, we have to vote. Um, and, uh, and really if that one-to-one -one contact happens, the likelihood, this is why we're such a big proponents of field, uh, the likelihood of someone actually showing up and voting is so much higher. And, uh, and this year is going to be confusing for people. So it's literally helping them walk through their voting plan. Have you registered? Have you gotten your ballot? Do you know where you're going to get your ballot? Do you know how you're going to drop your ballot off? Or if you're going to vote in person, do you know where that's going to be? Uh, and that's the, that, I think that's the power of a grassroots network right now. Afterwards, it's about making sure that the people who are elected continue to have this as a priority. And advocacy is just so important. It's like literally getting in front of your legislators and saying, there's this bill. Have you signed on? Why not? What are you going to do about it? And sharing those stories and saying this, it's happened to, you know, all of these people in your district and, uh, and, and basically not being quiet about it. Yeah. People can't deny your human experiences when you tell no. them what's happened to you. They can disagree, but they can't say this didn't happen. And I think mm -hmm. That's such a power. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a big thing. Um, our newest sort of uh, thing that we're rolling out with is reclaiming shame. And awesome. I think a big part of that is one of the big things that we've run up, like we've run up against as we've done different activism is that, you know, sexual, like the exploitation side, the revenge porn side, whatever term you want to use for image abuse, there's a lot of shame oh, yeah. up around it. And so getting people to show up publicly can be very difficult. And so we always kind of have to just hope that even on the back end of things, that even if the numbers aren't showing up, that we're still engaging people anyway. Yeah, yep, totally. It does totally. have that cloud. Oh, yeah. And, the, and, and that's one of the reasons it was important for me to come forward in, in the aftermath and not go away is to say, no, I am reclaiming it. I am, you know, I'm, I am here and other women need to be able to do so as well. Definitely. Definitely. So with that, what do you think the average person who has never experienced, you know, cyber exploitation, what should they know? I think that, that they should know that the, of the, of the people who experience cyber exploitation, first of all, there are millions in the United States, um, that 90% of them are women that uh, more than half of them either try or, or seriously contemplate suicide, um, and that it has these long-term mental health effects um, and, and you know, uh, other consequences that reverberate around somebody's life. And so it's, it, if, you, if it hasn't already happened to someone you know, it, and, it, and it very well may have, and you just don't know it, um, then it's going to. And uh, that together we need to have a strong voice saying that this isn't, this isn't something that can be enjoyed for public consumption. Um, it's something that we need to, to truly put in the cat category of, you know, exploitation and um, things aren't going to change until we do. So we need allies. We need allies at every level. Um, and, you know, I think especially people who might 
who might uh, kind of, you know, unintentionally be on the the so so called free speech or or, or um, you know freedom of information kind of side. This is different. This is a sex crime, and it's not you know, it's not you just being able to share your thoughts. It's somebody else's body. Right. Right. It's it's so unfortunately rarely uh, understood in these these online that perpetuate it as a sex crime, as an invasion of trust, an invasion of privacy, an abuse mm-hmm. of power. Yep. And um, it's it's more so thought of as a game. Yeah. And, uh, it's not a game. No. No, it's not a game. Um, so we want to give you a moment to. Uh, to talk about all of the incredible work that you've been doing um, over the past year. So what is your future as an activist, a best-selling author of She Will Rise and a political figurehead look like post-victimization? Although obviously you're still going through um, the trials and tribulations of what that yeah. looks like, but what are you most yeah. in your life looking, uh, moving forward? Yeah, well, I'm really excited for um, Her Time, which is the political action committee that I started that you mentioned. Um, I intend to grow that uh, in the next cycle already, you know, I'm really excited about who the candidates that we're supporting this time around and that we are, um, you know, that hopefully we have some great results in November. Um, but then the next phase starts of us being able to really, you know, push for these issues that we think are important, right? This legislation that we think is important. And, um, and then for us to, you know, to, to get the next slate of candidates to, to build the bench and be ready to protect those seats in 2022 and to, uh, to make sure that we're, that we're you know, also building women, as, and especially young women, as a voting block, as, as people who are, ed- who are educated on the issues, who have a voice, who intend to show up at the polls, and who consistently show up at the polls. Um, so for me, that's kind of the political side that I want to use. And I, have, you know, I obviously have the connections and the wherewithal to, um, and, and the knowledge of the system itself to be able to do that at a, you know, at a level that I think is unique. Um, the other piece of it is, is I think trying to continue to reach more young women, um, especially to, to engage in the political process. And, uh, and I can do that, you know, just using my platform in general. Um, and I haven't quite figured out all the other ways, but I am starting a podcast called Naked Politics, um, that is really imminently launching. And I, and I want to talk about, um, you know, cyber exploitation as a significant piece of, you know, how that can shape politics. Uh, moving forward if we aren't if we aren't getting on top of this now well we're so excited we're so excited to see everything you do in the future we're so excited about the podcast about the book um and about the political action committee uh we wanted to obviously we've already spoken but extend an invitation for you to speak at the march against revenge porn when it comes to los angeles in the spring love to and we're, we're just so excited can you let us know um for those who may not know where they can follow you and your work yeah yeah, so I'm the most active personally on Twitter uh, at Katie Hill, the number four CA. That's my handle, uh, Katie Hill four CA, and um, and her time. The website where and it has all the handles and everything like that is her-time.com. Um, if you want to sign up for the alert for the podcast for when it comes out, it's um, nakedpoliticspodcast.com. Um, and the book for both resources that are provided within the book and also where to buy it. Um, and just other general information, it's shewillrisebook.com. Incredible, incredible. We're, we're so excited to get our hands on all of those things that you're creating. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. We, from the bottom thank of our hearts, we are honored to kick off our March Across America series with you representing the state of California. We are so excited to see what you're going to do in the future and to, uh, to connect with you today has been the utmost pleasure. So, so thank you. Thank you so much. Great talking to you. Keep up the great work. You as well. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much to Congresswoman Katie Hill for joining us as our first guest in March Against Revenge Porn, March Across America. We've learned so much, but most importantly, we've learned that courage prevails and that telling your story can overcome the harm committed against you. We are so proud of the work of Katie Hill. I am deeply inspired as a survivor myself and as someone who wants to run for political office in the near future. I sincerely hope that Katie's story inspires generations of people who've been impacted by sexual trauma and abuse to tell their stories, to come forward, and to say that enough is enough. If you're interested in telling your story, visit marchagainstrevengeporn.org slash march dash across dash America. We'll see you next time.